Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. Coming to you from our homes, it's Bullseye. I'm Travel Anderson. And I'm Jared Hill. We are co-hosts of a Maximum Fun show called Fanti. Yes, that is a show. And it's spelled, I love to say, F-A-N-T-I. It's a show all about kind of those problematic faves. We love to have those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. But today on Bullseye, Jared, you're interviewing Norm Lewis. How was that? He was great. He's an actor, a Broadway veteran, and he was nominated for Tony for playing Porgy and Porgy and Best. He was also the first black man to play the role on Broadway of Phantom in Phantom of the Opera. And now he's doing some of everything. Yeah, I think I first kind of figured out who he was through Scandal. He played Senator Edison Davis, uh, who Kerry Washington's character was dating. Absolutely. And now he is in Spike Lee's brand new movie, The Five Bloods, which is on Netflix. It's a movie about four black Vietnam War veterans, and they're going back to Vietnam. It's kind of a buddy movie, and it gets really complicated. It really touches on a lot of different themes, death and racism, trauma, and a bunch of gold bars that are buried in the jungle. Let's start with a clip about the gold. The four friends are looking for a pile of gold they left behind during the war. In this scene, they're talking about what they should do with it. Norm plays Eddie, and he's the first voice you'll hear. That gold should go towards black liberation. <laughs> yeah, our black liberation. You do for self. I'm talking about black reparations, man. Well, I got mines. What about our people? What about my people? You do what you want with your share, and we'll each decide for ourselves. Uh, that's what Norman said now. Now, see? See, Otis knows. Norman want that goal to go towards the cause. Yeah, it's easy for you to say, Eddie, you rich. <laughs> Money don't mean to you. I'm not rich. <laughs> yeah, right, whatever. I'm not rich. Okay. I'm broke, man. How the f are you broke, Eddie? Huh? I lost it all. Norm Lewis, welcome to Bullseye. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um. So we just heard this clip of you playing Eddie and uh, before I kind of jump into what this film is about and, uh, and this character, I kind of want to know, like, how did this role come to you? How did this, how did this begin for you being a part of the five bloods? It was uh, uh, seriously happenstance. I uh, Spike Lee and I know each other from uh, being at certain events and he's come to see certain shows that I've been in on Broadway, things like that. And uh, we built a relationship just based on that. Then I got a chance to do uh, She's Gotta Have It, uh, his TV show on Netflix. And from that, we just stayed in touch. And one night he called me, it was around, I think around nine o'clock. He called me, he said, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. He's like, okay, I'm sending you a script. I want you to read it and tell me what you think about it. Click. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And I'm looking at the phone like, Jesus Christ, Spike Lee just called me and hung up on me. Uh, so I read it. <laughs> uh, the next morning he calls me and he said, what do you think? And I said, oh my God, it's fantastic. It's, you know, it's amazing. Uh, he said, okay, I want you to uh, meet me for dinner. Now, I again, I'm not knowing what this is all about. I'm thinking Spike Lee wants my opinion on a, a script that he wrote. So, okay, sure. I'll, I'll go along. I'll play along. And... We, uh, I go meet him in Brooklyn for dinner. We start talking about the script again. We start talking about the characters. 
And he said, I want you to play Eddie. And I'm, you know, again, I'm thinking that might be why he called me out there, but not for sure. And uh, I'm jumping up and down inside my head like a little schoolboy. But then, you know, <laughs> out on the outward appearance, I'm thinking, wow, that's cool. Thanks, uh, Spike Lee. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Very cool. That's, yeah. that's amazing. So yeah. uh, talk to us about uh, Eddie in the context of this film. Uh, the, the Five Bloods, obviously, uh, we see uh, these men, these Vietnam War veterans going back to Vietnam to uh, commemorate their time there, to... Uh, pick up a few pieces of gold, maybe, but also to get the remains of their friend <laughs> or their their leader who had died. Talk to me about Eddie and in, in this cast. Eddie was one of those guys that you know because they were all young when they got there. They were around seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old, and so they bonded. And so they had been on so many different tours together, and that's why these five were such a special unit, and that's why we were sent on this special mission. So they were like brothers. They really were. Um, um, it was just an amazing. Um, connection there and listening to norman in the show in the movie he he got a lot about history about black history things that he had never even heard of so he absorbed all of that uh, but after the war when he got back home he wanted to uh become successful and he fell into this world of of the business world and, and having a used car uh you know being a used car salesman and uh having many different lots and things like that but he also got caught up in that lifestyle and uh, had two, I think in the movie, he said two or three wives, but uh, was just a womanizer and just had a lot of fun, probably did a lot of drugs, things like that. But then he lost it all. Some of it based on uh, him just losing it, uh, just partying so much, but also because he had these wives and had to pay alimony and things like that. But I think he went back into that, little boy or that young man that he was when he first went over to Vietnam and started listening to what Norman was talking about and realized that success is not necessarily having money and all of this stuff, but success is helping others and being of service. And the idea of him being able to get this gold and take it back was going to be his penance, if you will, to uh, repay the world in, in a, in a, in a way. I'm, Curious about the preparation for this role. Um, what do you do to to find this character, to to find this space? Um, how do you get ready for that? Well, you know, besides doing the research, we had a lot of dramaturgs. We had books. We had videos that were specifically about Black soldiers in Vietnam. And one of them is called Bloods, which this movie is based on. And it's um, it's written by different... It's, it's different stories of the soldiers. Uh, they're little vignettes. So we look, read that there's footage of uh, these soldiers who are doing. You remember the DAP? Did you see the DAP in the uh, in the movie where we were all yeah, you know, early on each other when you first get there? Right. And then there's also footage within that uh, where we were showing what the DAP, how it originated. And so the DAP actually means dignity and pride. So that was something that was a communication that the black soldiers put together so they knew which unit they belonged to or which you know platoon they belonged to. Uh, and there were different daps for different platoons. Uh, so we had to learn all of that. There was like a, a boot camp uh, as far as knowledge, you know, book learning and also physically. So we had to make sure we were in shape. We had to uh, we had people that were on set to teach us how to hold guns and load guns and shoot guns. And then some of the terminology and some of the almost like choreography of what you had to do while you're in the field. Cause you couldn't speak while you're in the field. So they would show us like hand signals and things like that. 
So we it took us about two or three weeks to kind of get that within us. And they kept kept on us because, um, you know, you just never knew when Spike was going to ask you, hey, give me some dap. And he, he would want it in a certain <laughs> scene. And, you know, you had to know which dap. We learned about five or six different daps. Uh, and they were authentic. Another interesting uh, tidbit about this whole thing was this was the first war that it wasn't a segregated army. It wasn't a black army and it wasn't a white army. This was just one army. Now they segregated themselves once they got there. Some people cross pollinated, but this was not a black and white army. And it was also the first ar- uh, uh, war that was ever televised as well. So you would see uh, a lot of the soldiers come home, whether alive or, or dead. I was watching this and thinking that I would imagine that you've gotten a lot of feedback from black veterans uh, who were probably excited to see this movie. But I'm curious, what kind of feedback have you gotten from veterans um, and black veterans specifically? Well, that's an interesting question. We because of COVID, we haven't really had a chance to go out into the field Mm -hmm. uh, and do those kinds of um, those kind of talks. But I will say before uh, COVID hit, this film was seen specially for black veterans. And uh, I think there were three showings of this. And they, the, re- the results were varied. It was, a lot of people couldn't watch the whole thing. Some people had to walk out and then come back in uh, because it brought back so many memories. You know, these guys really did suffer from, from PTSD, also Agent Orange, and also the abuse that they got for being black over in Vietnam, not from the Vietnamese, but from a lot of the white soldiers. The DAP, I'm going to go back to the DAP for a second. A lot of the officers, the white officers, did not like the fact that these guys would communicate that way. And they would threaten them sometimes if they did get uh, they did see them do it again. They would get thrown in jail, what they call the brig. So some people were you know, mistreated. So they were fighting <clears throat> many different wars other than just the Vietnamese. So into Five Bloods, there's this scene where you all are on a boat and you're uh, you're approached by this man that is trying to sell Delroy Lindo's character a chicken. Mm-hmm. Okay, due respect, no. Come, come, no. Okay, all due respect, no. Yeah. Man, talk to you, talk to this man. Come on, yeah. no means no in any language, right? Come on, just come talk to him, man. I ain't gonna have my mouth. Come, come. Yo, hey, come talk to him. Yeah. No, man. Back up. Okay, just back up. And it really becomes a conversation about PTSD and your character is trying to, Eddie is really trying to, you know, control the situation, calm it down, bring it down. Can you talk about that specific scene? Because it definitely is one of the the highlights in the film where you it really makes you ask questions and think. Man, yeah, that one was, that was a, a really interesting one because we were going down this uh what was like the market uh in vietnam and uh you know you saw they actually that was a live snake that they they chopped and so you oh know, we saw all this stuff we saw all this stuff in this authentic asian culture you know uh, uh and it was it was interesting for us as actors because that was the first time we had seen that live but what was what was supposed to be not a calm scene but it was supposed to be delroy getting mad at the guy and then just storming off to the other side of the, of the boat escalated into this guy saying, you killed my mother. And mm. Spike kept throwing it. He said, yeah, tell him you killed my mother. Say that, say that. 
you know, things like that. So those were the improv things that Spike would see and go, okay, we need to add more to this. And mm. yeah, it definitely highlighted uh, Delroy's PTSD and just how real those things are to people and people not being able to, especially if you don't have therapy or anything, not being able to deal with it. And that was kind of our first, we knew that he had kind of, you know, in the, throughout the beginning of the film. And so we knew that he was kind of on edge, but that was kind of a turning point for all of us that we saw how deep it would go. And then his son uh, would come at Jonathan Majors would throw in his line saying, this has happened to him several times. And so this was a moment for us to kind of kind of bond again and bring him back. And that's when you saw us put our fists in the middle and saying, bloods, bloods, bloods. And then he said Norm at the end. In fact, he threw that in as an improv because he wanted to make sure that we were there uh, to show the audience that we were there on that one mission to go get Norm. Moving from talking about being a, a black you know, veteran in this film, I want to talk to you about being a black veteran actor. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's an interesting time to be an actor right you now. You just call me old. I see. I did not do that, Norm. Don't do that to me. <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> but I mean, if you if you uh, if you think about veteran Broadway actors, like there's no way that we can't include your name in like the iconic actors that are are among the Broadway stage. And Broadway is in a really difficult time right now. Um, there yeah. are some people who have no idea when Broadway's coming back. Right? We know that it's been postponed, air quotes, until 2021. Um, but talk to me about being an, an actor right now. What is it like in the time of COVID uh, with the uncertainty? And that's an interesting question. It, it, and the difficulty in, in answering that is that I think a lot of people are finding themselves within this. They mm. are doing a lot of soul searching. They're doing you know all kinds of stuff. What I know that some people are doing is they're being very creative by doing concerts at home uh, or singing at home or be, uh, finding some space that they can dance and keep practicing their dancing. Some people are zooming a lot and doing plays on zoom. Some people are learning how to be filmography, uh, filmography. I can't even say the word, but they're learning how to do film. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and just kind of developing new skills. And then there are some people who are saying, you know what, this is just too much for me. I'm going to give up my apartment. I'm going to leave New York or LA and go back home and be with my family and try to figure out what I can do next because we just don't know what's going to happen. It's an, it's a new interesting world. I know that the theater, the big wigs are trying to think of maybe there should be a shield up against the stage or like, you know, in the audience. So it, that will separate the, the aeration of coming into the audience somehow. I don't know. We're, everybody's trying to think of new ways to do this kind of thing. And, um, they're just trying to make it, man. I, I, it's crazy. I, I'm doing a concert this coming week online, and you know that's it, there's a new platform that I can sing on. So I'm going to be making some money that way. But uh, you know, I'm also starting a new business. I'm w working with my sister, creating a, a real estate company uh, where we buy and sell homes. So everybody's just trying to figure things out right now. You're, it sounds like you're diversifying yourself and trying to figure out other ways to make this happen because yeah. we don't know how long this is going to be. Yeah, we don't. We don't. And the thing about it, I'm, I've always been an entrepreneur um, and I've always you know, been into certain things, uh, even while I was acting. I came into this business uh, from the business world. I, I worked a nine to five for about five years uh, working in advertising for a newspaper. And I've always had that kind of like, OK, I need to keep you know, having multiple streams of income. 
And what I like mm-hmm. to do is actually teach that to some some actors as well, because we are a business. We are entrepreneurs. Well, you didn't realize this, but you were giving me a perfect setup to what I wanted to ask you next. You said that you came from the business world and you kind of like came into acting. And if I understand correctly, you were entering contests and then ended up on a cruise ship. How did that get started? Like, can, can you kind of walk us through how you began uh, in, in that in this world, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'll try to make it brief because I'll start back at the beginning. So I sang in church. My grandfather was a preacher. My dad was the chairman of the deacon board. So I lived in church. And the rite of passage was to follow your friends. And so I said, okay, I'll join the choir. That's what everybody else did. We weren't known for being like the baddest choir in the, in the land, but it, we made a joyful noise, no matter if it was joyful to anybody else. And... <laughs> And uh, but I sang and and no one ever said to me that I had a nice voice. So I just sang. That was just something. I, it was like a duty. I uh, did that for years, did that for years. I got into high school and in my junior year, halfway through my junior year, I was looking at my credits and I needed to have another elective. And so uh, I knew that uh, I went to my counselor. And my counselor just automatically put me in home economics. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with cooking or sewing. I just didn't want to do it at that time. And so I figured, let me go to the choir because that seemed like an easy thing to do. I already sang in choir at church. So let's see if this will work. And I got in and that's when I found my love of diverse music. I started singing in different languages and Broadway music and things like that. And from that, it just kept going. And even in college, majoring in business, I still sang in the choir because I just loved doing it. I didn't I didn't finish school. I didn't finish college uh, per se, but I got I, I left the school because I got a job in advertising and they were going to send me back to school because I was already Mm. working for the newspaper and they were going to send me back and finish out my last year of school. But in that time frame, I started singing in different contests at bars around town and you would win like $200, $500, or, you know, you'd lose some, I'd win some, but one in particular that I won, one of the judges was a producer for a cruise ship. Now I didn't know this, but after I won, he came up to me and said, hey, how would you like to sing on my cruise? And I need to replace this guy who got sick. And I'm thinking, wow, wait a minute. Hold on. You know, you're interrupting my life right now because I'm already on the trajectory <laughs> of having, you know, getting married, having my 3.2 kids and my BMW. But yet you're throwing a <laughs> wrench in that. And uh, he told me how much I'd make and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I decided to do it. And from there, I met people who were um, in the show that were professional uh, performers and they had been on Broadway and they've been working actors and they were like, wow, you have the chops. You should really think about going to New York. And again, it was on fit, blind faith and I jumped on the plane and went to New York, auditioned for things and haven't looked back since. That's been over 30 years. We'll finish up with Norm Lewis after a quick break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. From Miss Anne to Becky to Karen, our very own Karen, not that Karen, Karen Grigsby Bates, shares the evolution of the nickname for a certain kind of white woman. I'm looking forward to the next iteration. I want my name back. That's coming up on NPR's Code Switch. 
Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jared Hill. And I am Travel Anderson. Jesse's out this week and the Max Fun Podcast Fanti is taking over. We're listening to Jared's interview right now with Norm Lewis, the Broadway veteran, Tony nominee, who stars in Spike Lee's latest project, The Five Bloods. Let's get back to the interview. Yes, let's. <laughs> I mean, I know that Broadway is notoriously overwhelmingly white, and I know that television is as well. And I'm wondering, like, what are the distinctions that you've noticed, or or what what are the similarities, even as a that are difficulties as a black man uh, in acting? Well, I think the opportunities. I mean, you know, again, I've been lucky to play the roles that I've played, but uh, but I think the opportunities that come along, you know, and I've been seen from everything from a pimp to a, a lawyer, so and a doctor and things like that. So. I've covered the gamut, but there are fewer opportunities than there are for our white counterparts. Now that's changed a little bit over the past year, couple of years or so because of the awareness of that. And I think that that will keep going, especially now with, <laughs> with what has been happening in our society lately. But I think just knowing that there aren't as many opportunities for black or people of color out there in, in order to get these jobs is few and far between, uh, and few and far between the ones who do get these roles. So, you know, there's not like a competition. I'm happy when I see my brothers or my sisters get a role, but there's not as many roles out there. I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, new actors that are new in the business or that are just kind of coming into the business that probably have questions for you about what they should be doing. What kind of advice are you giving actors right now and, and folks in the business uh, about what to do right now. And I'm sure like you've never been through this kind of moment before. Like what, what is the feedback and advice that you're giving them? The main thing is to find yourself, like find some sort of spirituality. My main focus uh, has been, do not let your, your art validate who you are, validate your art. So just mm. in case I can never sing again, or I can never do it, you know, never get another show or whatever the case may be, I'll be devastated. But I know that I'm a person and that's just a part of who I am. I have, there might, there's like some other maybe hidden talents or just other talents that I just haven't tapped into yet to, uh, to express myself. And some of that might be service to others, uh, maybe going back to school and learning a trade, things like that. And especially because of we're forced to stay at home right now, this is the perfect time to learn something new. And in fact, I encourage going back to the entrepreneurial situation. I encourage people to learn how to code. I encourage people to learn how to do e-commerce or affiliate marketing, things that you can normally do from home anyway to supplement your income uh, while you're pursuing your dream. So find a sense of self because this business is, no matter what happens, you could give your best performance that you have ever given like in an audition and someone might come back and give you a critique like that was the worst thing they've ever seen in their lives. You have to be strong enough to go, well, okay, that's your opinion. I'm going to keep going on my trajectory. Or maybe you can learn from them. Maybe you can say, well, what is it that is missing that you're not getting? Instead of being devastated. I've seen a lot of actors get devastated, need a lot of therapy, think about quitting the business and things like that because they got a particular critique um, from a casting director or somebody you know that was uh, able to hire them. Uh, so saying all that, just basically getting a sense of self, whether that be from uh, religion, 
or uh, whether you believe in science or just finding some sort of hobby, knitting, you know, <laughs> finding some sort of solace and mm-hmm. meditating. Uh, and just know that you are enough. Uh, I have a really good friend by the name of Sierra Bagas, who I've worked with a, uh, a lot, and she's such a spiritual person. And she always goes around. She tells people, you are enough. You are so enough. It's incredible how enough you are. I just published a piece where I was talking to black journalists about how they've been uh, coping with and covering the news. And a lot of the pieces, a lot of the piece were kind of unpacking how we've been feeling and what we've been learning about ourselves. And kind of what you're talking about is uh, finding your own spirituality, finding your sense of self. What have you learned about yourself uh, since we've been, you know, locked in the house for so long? Well, I kind of knew a lot of these things already, but uh, I, I have patience. I do have, I'm, I'm disorganized, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> but I'm an organized disorganizer. Um, uh, I try to like get things done, uh, but I just got to find that piece of paper that I wrote that note on, you know what I mean? Things like that. Um, <laughs> and so it takes me a little longer, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm one of these people who wants to just kind of be of service. I want to, uh, I'm, I'm part of a group called, uh, black theater United and, uh, which was started after the George Floyd incident because we wanted to have a voice from the black Broadway community. And we are a faction. There's many different factions that are out there that are expressing themselves in a way saying that they have either been wronged or they see the, you know, the, um, the, uh, injustices that are happening within the Broadway community, things like that. But it's me and some of the, the veterans, as you would say, that are, that got together It's about 19 of us that are the founders. And we wanted to come at it from a different perspective. We're definitely going to deal with what Broadway has not dealt with for many years, but we definitely want to deal with societal issues right now. We just had Sherilyn Eiffel from the uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund uh, have a town hall. We sponsored that and talked about what we need to do moving forward as a, as a community. We're getting ready to have someone else. I can't mention the name right now, but on the 24th, we're going to have someone else that you know very well do another town hall. And we're going to talk about things like the census and making sure you sign up for the census and being counted. We're uh, also going to have uh, rallies dealing with voter registration so we want to get everybody involved in that. And so we wanted to have that voice from the Black Broadway community. And we're going to be unified with other factions that are saying the things that they're saying. Uh, and we're going to deal with those kinds of things as well and uh, have mentorships and uh, scholarships and and just be unified. I kind of want to hang out here in the Black Theater United thing for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, I'm curious the conversations that start something like this are usually conversations about frustration and and not feeling heard or seen or, or valued. How did this begin for you? How did, how did you get pulled into black theater United? I got a phone call. LaChance wrote a letter on Facebook saying, okay, it's been long enough. Producers of Broadway. It's been long enough. You know, the leaders of Broadway, are you going to say anything about this? Uh, Because no one was saying anything. I think everybody was too scared. Then Audra McDonald saw it and they talked and they were like, we need to do something. We need to, you know, because because like I said, the Pandora's box had been open and a lot of the younger kids that were on Broadway or, you know, in the Broadway community, the theater community 
we're talking about their experiences and how they felt disenfranchised and and we're you know just going in just saying things and and we understood that and we respect that and we want to uh support that but those two audra and lachance called a bunch of us and decided to have a zoom and said what can we do what can we do what can we do what can we do and we just mulled over a lot of ideas we decided to become a, a corporation a non-for-profit and we want to kind of just be like the NAACP of Black Broadway. And if anybody feels like they are wronged or need some help or whatever, we want to be those people that they come to that they can, we can at least, if we can't help them, we can guide them and put them in the right direction. And so the way we're starting off is by doing those things that I've mentioned before and talking about social reform and then dealing with theater reform. Uh, from there and just making sure people are accountable in the theater. You know, I, I have some experiences I've, I can share. I mean, there's so many uh, stories out there, but people need to be aware. And I think that that, I think that this, the, again, I, I'm going to go back. I, ca- I always call it the George Floyd incidents because I think he was the, the straw that broke the camel's back that made people realize that this is, there's something wrong. And, and now people are willing to have conversations. So we want to be able to help be that voice in having these kinds of conversations. I, you guys have a lot of heavy hitters working with you from LaShawn's and Kenny Leon, Audrey McDonald, as you mentioned, Wendell yeah. Pierce, Billy Porter, Felicia Rashad, Vanessa Williams, so many like Anna DeVere Smith, like a lot of names that people recognize. And it seems like there is this moment in America where black folks have the ear of the country and have the opportunity to kind of really shift the conversation and shift the culture uh, and and hopefully a way that is lasting and impactful. What are some of the changes you would like to see come about in Broadway um, through Black Theatre United and just more from, from, you know, seeing people raising their voices and speaking up? Well, I think from a macro level, I would say we want people to be, we want representation and diversity, not only on stage, but in the producer arena and the general manager arena and the casting arena and the uh, PR arena, just so there can be a voice that can uh, support those people who are on stage. Uh, you know, it's, it's great you know, because I, you know, I'm, I'm honored because I got to play certain roles that are not necessarily black roles or, or race specific playing the phantom Mm -hmm. was definitely not a race specific role, but that's great to have that sort of representation on stage, but we need more equity off stage. And it's all about equity. I mean, I think I'm going to, I'm not going to quote anybody, but I know Martin Luther King talked about that. I know Louis Farrakhan uh, talks about having equity it's not about uh, just equality. It's about equity and building that sort of stuff. You know, we need to have people who have money because, uh, you know, I learned something uh, interesting recently, which I, I did not know about, but I always questioned, but I didn't know the, the, the fundamentals of it. But people like Oprah, who's a billionaire, you know, she wanted to put on the color purple, right, on Broadway. She had to get permission from the people who own the theater in order to put it in there. So she had to go through them in order to get the permission to put that show on stage. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because they're leasing, they're leasing the land to her. 
instead of her, I mean, she could buy the building, but she, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? <laughs> but she had to go through them in order for that to happen. And a lot of that power, that equity is, it becomes a little bit more, it becomes like a monopoly and you go, so wow. And that's just, and that's not, that's for everybody. It, it, it doesn't matter black, white or indifferent, but we want to have more people in power to be able to say that we can put these shows on, you know, mm. and not have to go jump through so many hoops. So yeah, that's, and we're trying to cultivate that sort of uh, landscape uh, in the future because there are people who are going to school who are learning how to act, dance, act, and sing, but probably won't get to the point of being, you know, on stage and probably won't get to the point of being on Broadway. They might do local theater or something like that, but there are other ways to express themselves staying within the business. And if they're good uh, administratively, they can go into, you know, that part of what theater is. And then there's some people who actually just want to be backstage. There's some people who mm-hmm. love theater so much, but they want to be in the business area of this or, or the technical part of this uh, the, the thing. I mean, there's not a lot of black women that are backstage uh, in the technical thing. I think there's one or two. There's some stage managers, but there's we can only, I can only think of one as, as a sound designer. And that's all of Broadway. You know what I mean? So that's we want to open that door for them. Norm Lewis uh, is in the new film *The Five Bloods*. It's directed by Spike Lee and stars, obviously, Norm, but also Delroy Lindo, Chadwick Boseman, Isaiah Whitlock, and a fantastic uh, cast of actors that are telling this really, really unique story. Um, and so, I'm just really grateful for you uh, spending some time with me and and talking about it. Well, I'm honored. Thank you for having a conversation with me, and you know, all the best to you. I'm a big fan, by the way. And so, uh, this is great. This is really great. That was Norm Lewis, one of the stars of the new Spike Lee Netflix film, The Five Bloods, which is streaming right now. Norm was such a fun interview. I really had a great time chatting with him. Uh, If you have any opportunity to go see him perform anywhere online, you can get his music on Apple Music. He's a fantastic artist uh, and really, really great. Again, check out The Five Bloods streaming right now on Netflix. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. I'm Jared Hill. I'm Travel Anderson. Bullseye is produced out of the homes of each of us and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around Greater Los Angeles. Where there are children playing outside in a pool all day long next door to me. I don't know what you've <laughs> been experiencing as you're recording from home, but um, there's always children's laughter and screaming outside. Well, my upstairs neighbors, they love to move furniture at all hours of the night for some <laughs> reason. Um, So shout out to them. This show is produced by speaking into microphones, obviously. (laughs) Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We also get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And you can always keep up with the show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And you can check out our show called Fanti, F-A-N-T-I, which, as we said, is a portmanteau of fan and anti, basically the things that we love but have some challenges around. New episodes of the podcast come out every Thursday wherever you get your podcasts. And as Jesse might remind us, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. But we don't, so bye. Bye. (laughs) Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.